Hello, everyone, and welcome to Culture of Health. In an environment of health disparities, Providence is committed to improving diversity, equity, and inclusion in our communities, workplaces, schools, and more. We focus on what the future of healthcare looks like in today's changing culture, and together we will discuss how we turn the conversation of culture and healthcare into lasting, meaningful action. I'm Anna Nguyen. I am a licensed marriage family therapist and program manager for the behavioral health and primary care integration for Providence St. Joseph, St. Jude, and Mission Heritage Medical Group. Joining me today is Tina Ortiz. She's a licensed marriage family therapist, and she provides um, services for Providence Medical Foundation, Mission Heritage Medical Group as a behavioral health therapist located in Mission Viejo, California. Today, we are discussing the topic of how to have meaningful conversations while respecting one's culture. We know it can be difficult to navigate those conversations, so we are so excited that we can be here to help in any way, shape, or form. Tina, I am so excited to have this conversation with you today. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your work with Providence? Hi, Anna. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here, and uh, I am a therapist with Providence or Mission Viejo site. We work in terms of offering support to uh, patients that are referred to us through primary care physicians and other referrals. So we work in terms of helping people with maybe if they have uh, anxiety, depression, and transition pieces, grief. We cover quite a, a lot. And uh, this is very exciting for me as I enjoy helping others. Thank you so much, Tina. Well, first and foremost, let's talk about what does it mean to have a meaningful and respectful conversation about mental health and why is it maybe important to do so? Well, that's a great point, and I'm glad we're having this conversation as every conversation matters. When we look at cultural background connected to people, we look at also cultural competence, you know, where we apply our cultural information and appreciation for different people, their backgrounds, their cultures and belief systems. So for us, I think keeping the point of view of cultural curiosity is really important in helping others access mental health services. Tina, it's great that you're mentioning cultural curiosity because it really reminds me of this common theme we have in behavioral health and in therapy in general is the idea that I am the expert in my own experience. You know, so much of this, we want to stray away from generalizations, stereotypes and assumptions, but we always want to bring it back to each person, even though they may have similar experiences um, within similar cultures, maybe experiencing individual different things. And it's so important as you're talking about the cultural curiosity of it to really think about how do we approach someone with maybe a blank slate without any of the preconceived notions, assumptions of what we think they are, and maybe what our perspective of what they may be or what they may need. Um, I always think about such a simple question of asking why and wanting to be curious about a person. Dina, what do you think uh, is the benefit of maybe talking about the values of a person within a culture and how we can bridge that to really individualizing it to that cultural curiosity? Well, I think it's very important because we also think of cultural humility, right? Where um, we might have our own experiences that makes us who we are. And professionals, you know, we might know a lot, we've studied a lot, but it doesn't mean that every two experiences are the same. So with cultural humility, we're actually more of the learner piece versus the teacher. And the patient is the expert of their own experiences, 
their own uh, belief system values and us having that cultural curiosity and that kind of thrive to to learn more about the person i think then we're able to better connect and better to kind of find um, some common ground and to support the person through their process absolutely and you know even as we're talking about individualizing a teach culture even the idea of having a, a meaningful conversation that could look differently from everyone what i've noticed at least in my experience in the asian american culture conversations may not always be the go to um some cultures may be action forward they might want to show their love through whether it's cooking a meal for someone or making sure they're taking care of someone so the idea of even having a meaningful conversation might not always be the conversation in itself tina what have you found in different cultures that you've worked with that you've noticed maybe if there's a common pattern to it well for uh, my background i am biracial in terms of i'm part um latina and also part indigenous so for me having that blended piece was important to also understand that people might have different backgrounds so even though my family is from a certain part of mexico and um the person i'm supporting might also be it doesn't mean we have the same experiences so to but we we have some general pieces that kind of overlap like for us sense of family is very important uh having our family there sometimes we keep information within the family and uh, sometimes looking for help outside might be a little bit uh more challenging but then you know we have this hospitality piece you know where we're very generous and welcoming so being aware of some of those things are important especially you know because we can't put them in compartments you know we're all this whole piece and to kind of honor uh, somebody's background and to be aware of what strengths they have you know what how they look at terms of understanding mental health services and then working from there but to always be open and learning what you can from the person you're helping absolutely tina i i'm going to practice what we're preaching a little bit right um, if you could help me understand i know if we're talking about terminology there could be so many different terminologies for what we identify with help me understand you know how if someone who wants to approach and be respectful to culture if we want to understand what terms should we use for example should we use the term latinx latino latina hispanic you know there's so many various terminology and i want to make sure that we are respectful How would one go about that approach? Well, I like to ask the person how they would like to be identified as, you know, to see what wording they would choose to use. I tend to use uh, Latinx to have the inclusion piece, but there are some uh, with even within the, uh, you know, Latino Latina community that might not agree with that term, you know, depending on the generation stuff. So, I tend to kind of let the person lead you know seeing what kind of identifiers or pronouns that they use and then use those respectfully and if i don't know something i i think it's okay to kind of ask as you're trying to show respect you know to their process it's perfect that we're talking about the meaningful conversation piece of it because that's really what it's all about right to be able to ask why and to be able to approach it with a curious mind but when we think about a meaningful conversation it may just be a way for us to share our vulnerability and to share with somebody else the piece of ourselves and it could be a simple statement it could be someone saying you know it's been really tough for me lately 
And even if they leave it at that, that's a piece of us that's being shared with somebody else. That's so special. Mm -hmm. And it could be an hour long conversation. It could be an ongoing conversation, but it's really a conversation where we're talking about who we are, how we're feeling. And it's really, it brings it to the idea that we're not alone. Mm -hmm. I always ask, uh, I always talk about with everyone, you know, technically, can we do it alone? We could. We, we could technically do it alone, but should we? When we have people who are wanting to support us, is that something that would be helpful if we were to do it alone? Or would it be helpful to maybe reach out, talk to someone that we feel safe with? I know for many different cultures, there are so many different factors that tie in because for some cultures, it could be the head of the household that makes the decisions. It could be including the family members in the conversation. For some, depending on their generation or level of culturation, they might just want to take a step back and seek out mental health services on their own and include their family member, perhaps in a family session. But Tina, what have you noticed in your experience with this? Well, I think you bring up great points, Anna, because I know there could be the initial referral or something, you know, is happening, but the person is unsure. I think to have that constant invitation that invitation for help, even though like it might take more than one conversation or it might take somebody else's experience to kind of motivate them to to try. But if we're constantly opening and, and inviting to meet them with where they're at, with where their comfort level is at, uh, then we're matching to what their pace is and being able to be there to kind of meet them with where they're at. And that's okay if they don't feel comfortable sharing certain pieces, you know, that's a beautiful thing about therapy. It doesn't all have to be solved in one piece. You know, maybe it's meant to just tackle certain pieces at this time, you know, but we continue to have that invitation and that conversation that there's help available. I love that you bring that up because it really reminds me of this example of, let's say hypothetically, I'm walking with a friend and we're hiking and my friend falls and they have a gash on their knee and I could rush in and I could say, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to clean it with alcohol. We're going to sanitize it. And here's a bandaid. But without asking the person what they're experiencing first, what we could find out is what if they say, well, you know, I also have this radiating pain in my joints now. Or what if they say my chest actually starts to hurt? What it means is We can't always see what's going on on the inside for someone based on what the outside is. And when we have these conversations, it really gets to what's going on on the inside that helps me connect with what's going on for you on the inside. And I always think about, you know, it's, it's so hard to have these conversations because the reality is it's so difficult to be vulnerable. And we always think about what can we do to make sure we foster a respectful environment? What are some factors we can think about when we want to encourage someone to have a meaningful conversation with us? And Tina, I would love your thoughts on it. I know what we often think about things like, you know, I ask myself, do I feel safe with this person? Do they have best intentions in mind? Well, that's a, you know, that's very important because they are meeting us for the first time. We are not, you know, we haven't had the luxury of time to kind of build rapport and we have to kind of do that kind of rather quickly. But I do think it takes kind of this welcoming environment that we can create, you know, even as soon as they kind of walk into the door and they meet with our staff, you know, they meet with the the doctors to know that they can trust our place and the services we provide. And I think that's a piece that's important throughout our 
uh, agency to foster that welcoming peace. And then as they meet with us, you know, even if how we kind of greet them and ask, uh, be curious from up front to let them know that they are driving, you know, the session and the information that's provided and that we show respect to their process. So I think all those uh, factors are important. And then people will, you know, kind of hopefully warm up and be able to share what they want to share because this is their space. This is their time. And that's an important message for them to receive. It's so important that you're bringing that up because I know there's so much fear and stigma with the idea of getting mental health therapy. A lot of folks don't know what does that really look like? Is it going to be invasive? Are they going to ask all these different questions that I'm not ready to talk about? And it's so important to know in a professional therapy setting, we go at the pace of the, the person that's in front of us, whatever pace that may be. I know sometimes even um, the questions could be, well, what if it's a family member or a friend in my personal life? How do I make sure I foster a safe environment for them to talk about it? And I always say, you know, it's so important we express how much we care about the person, how much we love them, because we wouldn't be here having this conversation or trying to have a conversation if we didn't. And part of it is this is very similar to what you're talking about, Tina, in a session where we go out their own pace for someone in our personal lives too, our family, our friend, even acquaintance or someone we know very well, we still want to respect their pace. We want to make sure that we say, I'm here for you to talk whenever you need to. Just know my door is always open. I care about you and I want to listen. That way it puts the control in their hands and that way they get to to really get more um, guidance on how do I reflect on what do I really want to talk about with this person? I always encourage everyone to really think about what your goal is. Is my goal just to share a little bit about my piece today, or is it to share a, bit, a bigger picture about what's really going on? And whether it's in a professional setting or a personal setting, it is important to think about what is my goal when I'm talking to a family member and I'm noticing that they're struggling. Maybe I just want them to know that I'm here. Or maybe I'm noticing it's really not going down a good path and I really want them to get connected. I want them to see a doctor. I want them to get some help. Though so these are things I always think about when we're having these kind of conversations. But Tina, what are some positive impacts that these conversations can have, whether it's in a, in a friendship, a family relationship, or even the workplace as a colleague? Well, I, I think, you know, to understand that each of us have, again, our own history kind of piece but also like even you know generational like if we're looking at family members like our parents or so forth you know and they have a immigration history having uh like two you know each foot in a different country as they try to engage in this new country their acculturation level versus like let's say it's the grandchild or the one that was born here and raised and grew up with some of the American values or Western values. It's, you know, it just makes it different, but it also means that it's that continuous curiosity and talking and exposure, because then you realize like, well, maybe the, the nephew's open to having session, but the grandmother isn't, you know, but then even through their experience and hopefully it's, you know, helping them, then the other family members can see how this outside help could be something to explore and continuing to have this kind of conversation and respecting people's background because there are people that 
we'll give it a try, you know, but are nervous to let them know that, that they're, you know, safe, this is a safe space for them and they can express what they feel comfortable with. And then as that trust grows and the report grows, then you can see the kind of the therapy transform in its own. Thinking about goals is important because then there's kind of like a focus and it doesn't have to cover everything, but, you know, being aware of each person's individual story is going to be important. It's so beautiful, too, to think about how each person is so unique, just like a fingerprint, right? Their story is so unique. And if we open ourselves to understanding each person has a different story so that we don't generalize, our brain really gets used to that pattern. So it doesn't create assumptions. It doesn't create stereotypes and doesn't feed into that. You know, one of the beautiful things that you mentioned is sometimes people have one foot in each country. And it really reminds me that, you know, for those and thank you for sharing that you're biracial and your experience with it, because for those that have multiple cultures to identify with, sometimes it's a blessing to have multiple to identify with, but sometimes it can feel really isolating because maybe it doesn't feel like we're wholly, whole in one culture, but we've got many different that maybe we're kind of experiencing and, and finding our identity with. What would you say for anyone who's maybe struggling with different cultures that they're trying to figure out who they are? Well, I think, um, you know, it's always an ongoing journey, you know, an exploration, uh, you know, in terms of ourselves, when we look at the, the kind of the term intersectionality, it's like the multiple pieces that make up our identity, you know, race, you know, gender, religion, age, uh, even sexual orientation. And it's these multifacets that make ourselves up. And with my story, you know, it's a little different, the culturation level different for both sides of my parents. My father is uh, part indigenous Apache, um, you know, background. So I have further generations that have been in the United States, but my on my mom's side, they've traveled from Torreon to Juarez to Texas. So very different outlooks depending on the family members I was hanging out with. And to actually choose this as my own profession, you know, I had a mixed bag of reaction where, you know, uh, some of it could be like they're afraid a little bit, you know, what that means. And knowing now that I've been many years in this field, you know, they now have a different perspective because, you know, whether they wanted to or not, but, you know, it was part of uh, that continued conversation. But now as future generations are being born, you know, being biracial and um, have different cultures uh, makes it even more complex. So again, that culture of curiosity and how can we learn from that person's background, that person's culture just bridges and unites us and, and is a way for us to kind of connect versus disconnect. Absolutely. I always think about, you know, as you're mentioning bridges, another bridge that ties into meaningful conversations with culture as well is also language. Now, if we think about it, our emotions, when we experience it, it comes from a very primal place within us. And when we think about language, we always think about what's our primary language that we feel comfortable speaking in. When we speak in our primal language, what it does is it brings about those primal emotions. It's easier on some level to be able to access those emotions when we feel most comfortable in that language. I, I would imagine, Tina, with because um, your experiences differs, right? And the whole point of the conversation today is it's not one size fits all. And mm -hmm. it's really everyone has a different experience with this. So for someone who may be comfortable in their primary language, maybe another person might not be. But it's really the question of what do you feel comfortable using to foster the emotions that you're feeling? Mm -hmm. How do we communicate that to one another? And regardless of which language it's in, 
I always encourage everyone, how do we use language? How do we use the knowledge we have about culture and respect to empower your voice and my voice? Because when we have meaningful conversations, it doesn't always go smoothly. Yeah. Sometimes it comes with needing to learn boundaries and needing to really make sure that we are talking about where we're at, what we're comfortable with. Tina, what do you feel like would be some helpful tips for um, anyone who may want to utilize that cultural curiosity, but also be able to use it as a tool to use cultural values and asking about the comfort level and communicating, setting boundaries? Well, I think um, even if, uh, you know, from a therapist point of view, if we're asking welcoming questions in terms of already kind of setting up the cultural curiosity of even, you know, their background, any pieces, like even uh, their healing history, like how do they look at healing in different ways and any background information in terms of immigration story or any kind of uh, also trauma pieces because sometimes people depending on their background you know had to move for reasons that you know were life and death or are different pieces you know and i think to have that cultural sensitive and humility kind of point of view to kind of gather more information then we can use that to you know validate that boundaries you know provide understanding and continue that conversation because like you said not always is it smooth or you know, like, oh, great. Yes. Right away. It takes time to kind of build that and build that trust, but also building trust and building support is also having the tougher conversations, not just uh, the conversations that we feel comfortable about. You know, we honor them, we respect, and then we can, you know, work together to get to that, that other point. That's great. Tina, I, as you're mentioning cultural sensitivity, there's this term, I wonder if you could help me understand a little more. It's cultural sensitive um, information or communication. Would you be able to help understand maybe what that is? Uh, so just in a kind of in a nutshell, a little bit, there's cultural sensitive communication, what's kind of coming out, like there's what's considered high context. This is that how information is disseminated, could be through shared experiences, implicit messages, nonverbal cues, and through relationships between people. We tends to be to take on uh, the kind of high context as we see in uh, Latinx families, indigenous uh, native people, African-American black people, Asian Pacific Islanders. That tends to be the, to the cultural sensitive communication style. Another uh, form is low context, which is relies on verbal communication what is directly stated in the conversation and then listens to what's kind of being said. And we see that a lot in Western culture and in the U.S. So with that to say, it's good to have awareness. It doesn't mean everybody fits in either one of these uh, because it could be different or it could be blended. But I think as a person becomes more aware and does their own understanding of cultural competence and curiosity, then we can use those pieces to kind of um, understand how things are different, but also to use it as a framework for further conversation and realize that no two people are alike, but it does help us to have a little bit of framework. Absolutely. You, uh, you really reminded me of something because of course everyone is different, like you said, but I love the, how you're talking about even body language and eye contact is something that we want to be able to look out for. I know 
growing up in the Western culture, I'm very used to the verbal part and I have no problem saying, I love you. And for someone who's of older generation, maybe you won't outwardly say, I love you, but they will, you know, make me my favorite meal or they'll mm -hmm. give me a hug to embrace. And there's so many different ways we communicate, so many different ways to share that we care about someone, that we love someone. We don't always want to look for the verbal cues. We don't want to always be on the lookout for what we think we're going to hear, but we want to be on the lookout for someone's actions as well. You know, are they checking in on us? Are they uh, making sure that we have a jacket before we leave the door oh, yes. if it's cold outside? There's so many different love languages and ways we can express love, express the way we feel about someone. That's part of having a meaningful conversation too, is being able to get on the same page with maybe this person isn't very verbal, but they're showing me love and maybe through love that's action and being able to understand that it's not personal if they don't say it directly to me, but they're doing it in their own way as we're talking about how individualized it could be. I have a, a great acronym that I love to use when it comes to, you know, being culturally curious. It's called CARE. So C-A-R-E-E. -E. And the, the C stands for cultural values. You know, we want to inquire about someone's cultural values and their personal values there are even subcultural groups within cultures. Mm -hmm. So everyone, of course, has a different experience. We want to be able to get an idea of what that looks like for them based on their perspective, not ours. And the A stands for ask, for ask about their comfort level. Everyone has a different version of what they feel like they're comfortable talking about in terms of their lives or, you know, what they feel comfortable disclosing to someone who may be within the family or outside the family. Again, we want to go at their own pace. R stands for reflect. Reflect is such a powerful tool because it shows them and it shows us if we're on the same page with understanding what they're telling us. You know, we could be talking about something and if I reflect and they'll say, no, no, that's actually not what I'm trying to tell you. I'm trying to tell you this. It's really a great communication tool to make sure that we are on the same page in the same wavelength. Now, the two E's, one is for empathy. It, I always encourage empathy because if you're able to step into someone's shoes, you're able to really step outside of your perspective. And if our reality is our perspective, we want to make sure it's um, more than one perspective, right? It's not just my reality. It's more than one. It's a whole reality. We want to make sure that we're exposing ourselves to different viewpoints and different opinions. That's how we really grow. So being able to express empathy and understanding where the person comes from is such a powerful and connecting tool. And also the other E is express your concern and care for that person. Because how many times do we have a conversation? Do we maybe forget to tell them, I care about you so much. You mean so much to me. You know, I am, um, Tina, I think about sometimes when we hear in the news, if there was a suicide attempt or if someone passed away by suicide and how many times people say, I never knew they were so happy. Mm -hmm. they, they were a light in the room. I never would have guessed. I really believe it goes to show that there's so much going on underneath the surface for someone that we may not even have any idea about. Now, if we have on the surface conversations about the weather, about, you know, what's in the news, it, of course, like it only takes us so far, but if we're having conversations about how we're really feeling, if we're having a really tough day, if we're feeling alone, you know, if we're feeling really anxious, that's the difference between feeling like you're dealing with your symptoms and managing it alone and that maybe no one else feels that way to building the bridge between, wow, maybe somebody else feels the same way I do, or at least I know somebody cares. And that's really the point of the CARES acronym is that we want to express how much we care about that person 
by being respectful to their culture, their values, their opinions, their perspective. Yeah, that's great, Anna, because it's like you said, it's to be seen and heard, right, and validated. And I think that's a great acronym to help us remember those important pieces, because that's what uh, the bottom line is, is human beings and how we can support one another and use our cultural differences to unite rather than separate. Dina, one of the things I know I get a lot and possibly you do too, is, you know, people will tell me, how long does this take? Because sometimes it could take more than one conversation, right? Sometimes it could be an ongoing conversation that you have, you check um, in with each other again and again. But what would you tell someone who maybe is feeling a little impatient or frustrated or just, um, you know, asking a question of what can I do to help them open up? Well, I think uh, as we continue to build poor and there's uh, probably uh, information in their background that kind of has lead to them feeling rushed or, you know, there could have been barriers to accessing uh, mental health services. Uh, you know, it could be there's more to it than what's just being presented. And I think as we kind of discuss with them with where they're at and, you know, I think that's the magic question. Well, how long? And, uh, you know, when sometimes it's not uh, black and white and it's more processed, it's more reflecting where the person is at. And like you said, mentioning the goal piece, because sometimes it's hard to see progress, right? Because it, it might want like a drastic difference, but it's more of those different smaller units for us to kind of be aware of. And, you know, staying again with the cultural curiosity and wondering kind of, you know, where that comes from, from them, how we can be a support. And, you know, again, a lot of the time it's not comfortable sometimes or, or smooth or quick, but to know that the work is not in vain, you know, and that they are continuing to work on themselves. And that's a piece that they can, can, can continue to kind of see and blur, but it just takes a little bit of time. And it's that continued invitation for that continued, you know, communication. I love that you mentioned progress looks differently for everybody, because for a person, even if they share with us maybe one statement about themselves, that's a vulnerable statement, maybe it took them a year to get to that mm -hmm. place. You know, everyone is really at a different place. It's something, it's so important if we are um, wanting to have a conversation with someone and we're noticing our own frustrations, it's important to also separate why are we frustrated? It may have nothing to do with the other person as well, but it's also a great opportunity to just take, to take a step back and reflect on, is there something about my experience with having conversations in the past where I feel um, frustrated when things are not going as quickly as I want them to? I'm not getting results the way I'm used to. It's important as we're thinking about the blank slate to really approach it from, it's not really about us. We can share our experience if we are having this vulnerable conversation, but what would it be like to approach it from the perspective of, if I'm here for somebody else, I wanna know what it's like for them. And I'm going to share my experience along the way. But if I'm noticing emotions coming up like frustration, what is that about? Let's pause on that and return back later and think about it. We don't always have to explain emotions right there in the moment. I always think about how we don't utilize pause more often. If we notice anger is coming up, it feels impulsive, but it doesn't mean that we have to act on it. If we notice it, we can put it down like we would set a backpack down and we can always return back to it and explore. But we keep the goal in mind of what's my goal with this person. Maybe my goal is just to let them know that I am noticing they're struggling. 
Well, that's a great point because it is all happening at once, you know, these different components. And um, sometimes the frustration or being upset could be surface on, you know, with underlying emotions that are taking place that need time for, you know, further development. And pausing is, is not a bad thing and, you know, taking inventory, so to speak, and uh, just uh, offering support, you know, that they're not alone in this journey. Uh, so I think that's um, a wonderful kind of piece, even though they might not feel it at the time. Absolutely. A lot of this is self-reflection on all parties. The more we can be in touch with what we're feeling, our thoughts and our emotions and behaviors, the better we can use it to communicate. And Tina, as we're talking about the topic of communication, I know there's so many different types of communication that it's important to understand different styles of it. You know, things like passive communication, assertiveness, passive aggressive, aggressiveness, that each person may have a different style of communication, but it doesn't mean that it's bad necessarily. It means that for each of us, we want to get an idea of where we're at, where we want to grow, and how do we want to use this to help ourselves and, you know, and positively impact those around us as well. And Tina, what do you think of the idea of, is it okay to set boundaries if we're having a meaningful conversation? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, boundaries are important in terms of the conversation is kind of drifting off from the goal, you know, a little bit that, that's being established. And it could be done with kindness, empathy, and support. Boundaries is not necessarily a bad word, so to speak, but sometimes a healthy one needed. And sometimes people might have a, a lot to share and, you know, a lot to, to go. And it's kind of, you know, navigating that freeway, so to speak. But like you said, there's different types of communication. There's also a lot of nonverbal communication. And as professionals, we kind of look into the different types, not just what's being said verbally, as we kind of talked about communication styles before. And then it's just kind of like validating that piece. If it's frustration, I can see, you know, feeling, you know, frustrated and they could be, well, no, I'm not, you know, <laughs> or something, but it's a kind of, I think for us as professionals to kind of keep that peace, keep our own emotions and being kind of a mirror, not a sponge, a reflective piece that is like, okay, this is their process kind of thing, but boundaries from the receiver end could realize that they actually feel more supported having it, but they could be new to it. So uh, that's the other piece where we'll kind of, you know, check in and uh, because boundaries are healthy. And I think having that even conversation about it, if needed, you know, about the concept of having that could be important. So I think it's meeting where people are at and then understanding that there is a message trying to be given. Absolutely. And boundaries also communicate to the other person what we want. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the common misconception is, um, I'll use age group as an example, you know, that um, the older population, the older generation, they want sp certain things, they want specific things out of a conversation, whereas maybe a teenager might uh, communicate a little differently. Now, if we generalize, it's not going to be helpful because even as I've worked with many older um, folks, some will come to me and say, Anna, I just want skills and tools. Tell me what to do to fix this. Mm -hmm. And some will say, Anna, I just need you to listen. And the same thing goes with teenagers as well. It doesn't matter the age necessarily. And there's no age in limiting. Can we ask someone how they prefer to communicate what they would like to do and how can we help? I've had the same instances with teenagers saying the same thing where they just say, I just need someone to listen to me right now. And someone will say, 
I want to be proactive. I want to practice skills and tools. I want to read books. Please tell me how can I manage my symptoms? And regardless of age, regardless of what we think the other person needs, we always want to really be able to check in to ask, what do you need? How can I help you? If they don't know, we can always make sure that we continue to ask. Maybe we break down the question even more. It's okay if you don't know. I always say, let's talk about what else you don't know, what else you don't want. If you know what you don't want, it also guides us in the direction of maybe what you do want a little more so that maybe we know a little better what your options are to give you, um, whether it's in a professional relationship, a personal relationship, being able to have this tool of communication is so helpful on so many levels. I, I agree. I think all information is useful. Uh, you know, we could suggest something and someone could be like, you know, you know, Tina, that really doesn't work for me. I welcome that feedback because then I know it's not that and we can look at something else. Like you said, no, uh, people in the different age groups, you know, no two are the same depending on, you know, what their background is. I also tend to ask if they've had experience with therapy before. And if they have, you know, I, I would ask, well, what worked for them? What did they appreciate or what did they like? And having that conversation of expectations of what they expect from us, showing them our style of support, they can kind of, you know, we can kind of go from there because it is, uh, like you said, that conversation that we're still trying to figure out stuff to build a plane as we fly it, so to speak. And, um, you know, that's okay if it, they say something that uh, they might think like will hurt our feelings or like we might be upset or, you know, as professionals, that's not really a part of it, but it's to kind of bring forth what is needed and what type of support that will work. And it's constant evaluation with it. So I encourage people to share what they want, whether it's comfortable or not. And then we could definitely go from there. I love that because there are so many differences within even what you're talking about in a, in a professional therapy setting. We as therapists, we know it's not about us. Mm -hmm. So of course, if someone gives us the feedback, we welcome it. We say, thank you. It helps us understand a little better. We encourage everyone to do that in our personal lives. Then we approach things a little differently. Yeah, or if someone gives us the feedback, it may sting because of the personal relationship, yeah. but we also, it's good to reflect and take a step back to think about, okay, what kind of conversation do I hope to have? Do I want to share with them that they hurt my feelings? And it's more so okay in our personal relationships to, to really share our emotions. If one person is sharing with us their vulnerability, it's perfectly okay to share our vulnerabilities as well. You know, we don't want to make it a one-sided conversation where someone is sharing the deepest parts of their soul and we sit back and we go, okay, thank you for sharing with me. That's all. You know, it's okay to also have this collaborative relationship to go back and forth and share, wow, I know what you mean. I've had a tough day too. And to be able to share experiences, have it linked together and not feel so alone in that matter. We have, of course, relationships that we have to navigate a little more carefully. Like, let's say it's in a professional setting with our colleagues. We want to think about how much do we want to disclose? How comfortable do we feel sharing with this person? But of course, it's important to think about who is this person? What kind of relationship am I having with them? What is their role and what is my role? And the other important question is, do we feel comfortable enough together to let each other know if we've overstepped, mm -hmm. right? If somebody pushes us too far, if someone starts to tell us what to do, and we'll go back to the communication styles, if they start to be aggressive about it and they start to push solutions, 
go call this facility, go talk to this doctor, but we're not quite ready for that. Do we feel comfortable to say, thank you for sharing that with me. I appreciate how much you're wanting to help because it comes with good intentions, but I'm not quite ready yet. You know, it's all about sharing what's really going on for us instead of beating around the bush, instead of talking about maybe on the surface things. But it's a fantastic conversation that we're having, Tina, because the more we talk about these issues and these concerns that we have as a society, the more we start to feel more comfortable with normalizing these things. If we don't ever talk about boundary setting, not a lot of people are going to do it. The more we talk about it, the more we learn from one another to do it, the more we can make progress within our society, within our culture, within our community to do so. Oh, that's great, Anna, because it is, um, I mean, they serve different purposes. And, you know, my background is in child development, so structure, uh, boundaries are important things as kids navigate their world. And like you said, uh, teenagers, youth trying to kind of navigate and launch, you know, that's a whole different other set and then adults and older adults. So it's these different things and also cultural curiosity, knowing their history with boundaries, you know, there could have been very loose or none or very, very strict. So I think, like you said, uh, having that understanding and conversation, it would, I would feel would be helpful. Absolutely. Now, Tina, lastly, is there anything that maybe we haven't talked about that may be important for our listeners to know? Well, I just want to say thank you. Anna and to Providence for this conversation, because I think it's important to have it, even though we're ending our conversation here, uh, that the conversation continues, uh, not just within uh, us or Providence, but within our families, our homes, our community, to continue to promote uh, cultural curiosity and, and competence and so that we can better connect as human beings, as uh, people in society, and breaking down stigma. Uh, so. Thank you again for this forum and for this wonderful conversation and hope uh, many others continue. Absolutely. I love that you really brought it back to the conversation doesn't end here. It doesn't end at one point. If we continue the conversation, if we continue to build on it and grow and learn from it, we are empowering all of our voices together. And the point of it really is that all of our voices matter. It's not just one person. It's not just one side. But we want to give everyone the empowerment to utilize their own voice, to express themselves, express their emotions, express their opinions and their perspective. The more we understand about people who are different from us, the more we are stepping outside of our comfort zone and we're growing. And I can tell you in the work that you know I've done with so many people, it's all about growth. It's all about how can I be more comfortable with who I am? How do I leave a positive impact? Everything we do, we create a ripple effect. You know, we work on ourselves, we become healthier. We live in our families, whether it's our childhood families or chosen families, um, we have an impact on how they interact with us. If we have positive communication and healthy communication, it impacts the way they communicate with others. We then in turn send people out into the communities and our communities start to get healthier. And it all starts with our voice and it all starts with the way we empower ourselves and those around us. Thank you for joining us today on Culture of Health. We look forward to continuing the important conversation on equity, diversity, and inclusion in healthcare with more experts from Providence in future episodes. 
Make sure to listen to all our shows on Dash Radio under Future of Health Radio or your favorite podcast platform. And follow us on social media. We can be found on Twitter and Facebook at Providence and Instagram under Providence Health Systems. To learn more about our mission programs and services, go to providence.org. And please remember the information provided during this program is for educational purposes only. You should always, always, always consult with your healthcare provider if you have any questions regarding a medical condition or treatment. Thank you everyone for listening. And remember, at Providence, we see the life in you.